The sermon series for the rest of this month is called In the Beginning. It is founded in the book of Genesis. And what I want to speak to you about specifically this morning has to do with the concept and the topic of identity. The book of Genesis was written in a time period where the Israelites were coming up out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. Moses was jotting down the story that they had heard passed down from generation to generation, but he codifies it and he writes it down for a purpose and a reason. See, these people had become slaves. After 500 plus years, they had taken on a slave identity, and God was about to bring them out of the wilderness into a land of newness. But if they kept their identity as slaves, they would never walk in the fullness of everything that God desired for them to be. And so God draws the people back through Moses, and he draws them back to the story of their origins to show them what their identity is. Why is this message so important? We live in a day and age where identity is being questioned left and right. Sexual identity is being questioned. Biological identity is being questioned. Ethnic identity is being questioned. But even worse than that, we've got a bunch of Christians who also don't understand what their identity is. Knowing who you are and knowing where you come from roots you and establishes you in a way that is insurmountable and unbelievable, and it causes you to stand strong in the midst of everything. Ralph Waldo Emerson said the following, to be useful in a world that is constant, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. I'm gonna read that again. To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. The world in which we live has known trends, philosophical, theological, and spiritual movements. Many of these movements have been meant to lead people astray into thoughts, philosophies, and ideologies of darkness. They are actually demonic and from the devil. And I don't say those words too easily, but Paul says that in the New Testament. It is a reasoning that is not God's reasoning. It is a philosophy that is not God's philosophy. And in the day and age in which we live, it is more important now than ever before that people like you and I, people that are watching online and I, that we understand one primary thing above all other things, that when we are born again, we have become children of God. And when you grab a hold of that identity for your life, you become unshakable, you become immovable. I don't know about you, but I want to be unshakable and immovable. Do you want the same for your life? Do you want the same for the people around you? Ephesians 1.11, as Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus who is going through an identity crisis, he says the following to them. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny. 
that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Many times when people come to faith, we say things like, Jesus loves you and he's got a plan for your life. And one of the only things that many people receive is forgiveness from sin. Oh good, I'm glad. No, getting saved. Becoming born again means living a new life. It means the old has passed away and God is bringing about newness in your life. In your old life, if you were a swindler, a gambler, a liar, if you were sexually deviant, hopefully Jesus has transformed you by his power. See, the God of the Bible who's revealed himself in Jesus, he loves you too much to leave you in your sin and squalor. Come on. The world in which we live says, oh, stay there, accept it, it's your identity. You've got to come to terms with it. No, I am not going to come to terms with the fact that my background is not good. I'm not going to come to terms with the fact that some of my ancestors were no good. I'm not going to come to terms with the fact that if I take my own thinking into account, it is not good. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Come on. One of the first things that we come to realize in the story of Genesis, when we look at the first people that God created, Adam and Eve, is that number one, they were designed with destiny. Do you believe that you were designed with destiny? Do you believe that God's plan and purpose for your life is unique? Do you know that there's no one like you? Even if you're an identical twin, do you know you have different fingerprints than your brother or your sister? You're not the same. Let me see your hands. You are unique. You are unique in the way that God made you. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man, meaning humankind, in his own image. He created him, again, humankind, in the image of God. He created them male and female. If the enemy wants to destroy our culture and destroy our churches, he is wreaking havoc and waging war on the very basis of our spirituality, our biological identity. If the enemy can convince you that your body is not your body, he has deceived you. And what do we live in? We live in a world of people that are just nodding their head and saying, it's all fine and wonderful. It is not. The story of Genesis brings us back to our God-given identity. It brings us back to the fact that we, as men and as women, were created in the image of God. For the men that are here, for the brothers that are here, do you know that you were created in the image of God? Do you know that God, when he created you, created you on the last day of creation before he rested? Meaning as he was creating, as he brought everything to a close, he made you from the dust of the earth and he crowned creation with you. Oh, but I've got an even better story for the ladies today. See, we were made from the dust. You ladies, you were made from real stuff, a, a rack of ribs. 
And if you look at the actual Hebrew language, there are wonderful words being used from God created them, meaning the God who is powerful and wonderful. Out of nothingness, he, he makes them and he forms them out of his creation. He breathes life into them. And for Adam, he uses the word formed, almost like a potter forming a lump of clay. But for ladies, he uses a different word in Hebrew, and it is a word of sustaining, a word of establishing. Women almost become the diving board for God's plan into the great unknown. Ladies, you are also special in the eyes of God. And do you know why I emphasize that? Because sometimes for hundreds or thousands of years in the church, they have tried to suppress the fact that women are just as important in the kingdom of God as men are. Come on, ladies, can I get an amen on that one? You're all looking at me like I'm crazy. The Dutch have an expression, you look at me like you're watching water burn. Come on, like don't you want to know that? And why is this significant? When Jesus rose from the dead, who was there? A woman. Mary was the first evangelist as she ran and told the others that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. See, God has a specific plan and purpose with every man and woman. And when we walk in our identity, and I'm talking, yes, genuinely, walking in my identity, we live in a time period where we can identify with whatever we want to. It is not healthy. I am Eric Capelli. I am genetically a male of mostly European descent. I like to say more Mediterranean because I'm not as white bread as you want me to be. <laughs> yeah, Italians and white culture, we don't go together sometimes. I'm 42 years old. But in the world in which we live, I can identify as Erica, and I'm a 12-year-old teenage girl. And guess what? You're all supposed to accept that. We live in a world that wants us to deny reality. But we know that there are those that are plagued with these feelings, and I want to be genuine about this. I, I never would want to make fun of people for doing this. But we're taking it even a step further. We have a friend that lives out in Pennsylvania. She just transferred her daughter to another school because there are kids at the school that are now allowed to identify as furries, animals. And it's, it's a real thing. And these are real feelings, but guess what? Because it's a trend and it's being propagated, people think, oh, this is the thing for me. I just get to do this, and it's all okay. But the word of God brings us back to the basics that God created us as men and as women. While man and woman are intimately linked and literally made for each other, they are also created as unique and separate genders. Male and female are not interchangeable or replaceable. I love this quote. They are exceptional. For the men that are here, you are exceptional, exceptional. For the ladies that are here, you are exceptional. I will never forget the words of my wife as we ministered overseas. We had many women with a ministry call. I mean, they were, they were like tigers trying to get their way and move their way to the front. And my wife has always said this. She said, I will never fight for a position. The Lord sees me and he knows me and I will never compete with a man. I am a woman, and I am so glad that God created me to be one. 
ladies and gentlemen, when we arise into the roles that God has given us, and I'm not talking about being some macho dominant men, and I'm not talking about being this typical foo-foo lady. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about men and women who accept their identity and begin to let the power of the Holy Spirit work through their lives like never before. Because when you stand up and you set the example, you lead others with you. Nothing better than that a little girl can see another woman in ministry and say, I want to be just like that when I grow up. I want little girls that go to church to see someone like Pastor Maria and Pastor Alyssa and say, I want to be just like that when I grow up. I want little boys that go to church here to look at Pastor Zach and Pastor Noah, Pastor Josh and Pastor Johnny and say, I, I want to be just like that when I grow up. When we stand in our godly position, it becomes a fire that's contagious for all. The second thing that I want to draw your attention to is that God named man and woman with intentionality. The God of the Bible, he knows your name. He knows your game, and he knows what he's called you to. We see the creation story repeat itself again. However, now it's in Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, This is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. We've got it again. When they were created, he blessed them and he called them together mankind. Why is this story repeated again? Well, we have Adam and Eve who were in the garden in perfection when God creates them and names them this. However, after Adam and Eve had sinned and were banished from the garden, they weren't more than 10 figurative steps away from the Garden of Eden that they had two sons, and one of their sons killed the other son. Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Abel's blood cries out from the ground. We're not even a few chapters into the Bible, and murder is already happening. The godly line needs to move forward and is killed, and the ungodly line tries to get its way and move its way forward. But Eve, the mother of life, through the power of her husband and the power of her body, give birth to yet another son by the name of Seth, who will carry forth a godly line. And in Genesis chapter 5, we see about the godly line of Seth. And so what does Moses do? And what does God do? He links the godly line of Seth back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You might not have had control over your identity. You might not have had control over the family that you were born into, the family name that you carry. But the gospel shows us that those who know Jesus are now born again. If you want to live a godly life and you want to have a godly heritage, you can break with your last name, meaning you don't have to change it. But you can take on the name of Jesus. You can take on his character and his likeness so that you and your family will never be the same again. See, God's desire is to bless you. Do you believe that? When I pastored a church one time, I said that, and some lady in the front row was looking at me like really weird. And I said to her, what, do you think it's God's desire to let the devil curse you? And she shook her head, yes. I said, you're in the wrong place this morning. God's desire is to bless you and your family. God's desire is that you leave a godly legacy. God's desire is that your children and your grandchildren be saved. Do you believe it? I believe it. Come on. 
Lord, bless me for a thousand generations has always been my prayer. But with great authority comes great responsibility. I'll get into that in a moment. See, God bestows his blessings without discrimination. The followers of Jesus are children of God, and they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even those who deserve the opposite. See, as believers, when we know our identity and we know the name by which we are called, it should affect the way we treat others. And when we do good things for others, we should never let it be just to our own credit, but we should do it in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. That should be our goal, to be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. Lastly, this morning, and I'll preach more about this toward the end of the series, when Adam and Eve began to walk in their identity, God showed them that it was existing with authority. This morning, if you are a believer, do you believe that Jesus has given you authority? And we're going to learn more about this this year. Not only about authority, we're going to learn about victory. We're going to learn about being operating in the power of anointing. For those that are part of our altar team, we're going to have a meeting today and even talk more about that today. Why? Because anyone who's coming up to these altars, every man and woman on this team, guess what we need to believe? That God can do the impossible. People don't come up for prayer for us to go, God bless you, and you're going to be the same. Yeah, rest in it. Enjoy the misery of your life. No, when people come for prayer, we need to believe in a God who moves mountains. And when we stand in our authority, that is what changes the world around us. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we see the original authority that God had given to Adam. It said, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. As the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, many of us look at this story, and I've heard people, I, the high school I went to, they, we would read Genesis. We, we had to read the Bible. It was considered an important work of literature. As liberal as the schools were that I went to, we read Genesis and we read the book of Ruth. Interesting, huh? And the Sermon on the Mount was also part of it. There's a lot of people who hunger for authority, but they don't want responsibility. They don't want accountability. We live in a world that says you can do what you want, be what you want, when you want, but guess what? You can be all of that, but it shouldn't cost someone else something. There are people, I want to be who I want to be. It's on someone else's dime. I want to be who I want to be. That means other people have to rush because you're the one creating all the emergencies. We all have people that we know that are like that. Walking in authority means that God also puts checks and balances into your life. There is a system of organization. There is a system of order. There is a system of authority. When people come into the context of church, they think, oh, we just, we get to throw that all out the window. No, there is godly authority within the structure of church. There is godly authority and accountability with everything God has called us to do. But he gave the command to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, meaning take it under your authority and dominion. As believers, Jesus has also given us authority. 
In the Gospels, he tells us, I am giving you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to speak in new tongues, to prophesy, to raise the dead, heal the blind. Do you know that you've been given authority? You've been given authority over the place that God has placed you, even right now in this moment. Even if you don't like it, God has given you authority over it. Abraham Kuypers was the founder of the university that my wife and I graduated from in the Netherlands. And the school that he founded, he founded all these different disciplines, and even the school building, the way it's structured, he has every department, but the top department is the theology department, and he says because it was the crown of all the sciences. Now that university has become very liberal at this point, They've removed a lot of symbolism that went along with it. But Cowper's believed the following, and I want to draw you into his thought for just a moment. He said, God built into the creation a variety of cultural spheres, such as the family, economics, politics, art, and intellectual inquiry. Each of these spheres has its own proper business and needs its own unique pattern of authority. When we confuse fears by violating the proper boundaries of church and state, for instance, or reducing the academic life to a business enterprise, we transgress the patterns that God has set. What am I saying in this? When God gave me an anointing upon my life, he gave me an anointing that has authority within the context of the church. Meaning if I try to operate somewhere else, guess what happens? It's not the right authority. I've got to stick to my lane. But there are others here that God has given you authority in other spheres that are not the church. Meaning if you work in the educational system, God has given you an anointing and authority within the educational structure. If you have a government position, God has placed you there with an anointing. If you're at home right now taking care of your kid, God has placed you there. If you work in the banking industry, God has placed you there. If you're a trash collector, God has placed you there. No matter where you are, I need you to start believing that the kingdom of God can and will manifest itself through your life. Do you believe that? Come on, that's weak. That's weak. I've been receiving testimony after testimony of people within this body that are now integrating the kingdom of God into their workplace and they are seeing God move. They are seeing people be saved. They are seeing lives be transformed. God wants to work through you. God wants to reach places I cannot get into. And you're the missionary who's going to do it. Rounding off John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But those who embraced him and took hold of his name, he gave authority to become the children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by a man's desire, but he was born of God. As I've said to you throughout this sermon, you might be defining yourself in the wrong way. See, there, we can talk about society and we can point our finger to the world who doesn't know their identity, but I think a lot of believers also don't know their identity anymore. And when we know our identity, when we truly know what it means to be born again, we walk in authority, we live in victory, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there to break the curse of the enemy. Do you believe that? I am born of God. 
Oh, pastor, you don't know. People, if I sink into my biological identity for five minutes, we are ruined. Ruined. My wife will tell you, we are ruined. My children can tell you, you are ruined. If you want five minutes of old Capelli to come out, it's not nice. And I need to form that character by the Holy Spirit. That anointing needs to flow in all aspects of who I am in every area of my life. And in closing this morning, Shelley Hendricks said it short and sweet. When you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are children of God. Just like Israel needed to know, you are no longer slaves in Egypt. You are landowners. You are a kingdom of priests. Church, you are a holy people. You are called and chosen, and you have a holy destiny. The place that God has placed you, let the anointing flow over your life like never before. For the ladies that might feel timid and held back, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit flood over your life. May God bring you from timidity and insecurity to a place of authority in him. For the men that are here, that you might shrink back because of the way that you were raised or the patterns that you saw. May the life-giving power of the Spirit that breathed life into Adam, may that life breathe into all the men that are here this morning. Life, life, life abundantly in Jesus' name. Stand up this morning, church. Stand up in your new identity. Stand up as a child of God and begin to give him glory and honor. If you're a woman this morning, say, Lord, thank you that I am a lady, 100% woman. If you're a man this morning, thank him. Say, Lord, thank you that you made me a man, but God, let me be defined by way more than what's between my legs. Lord, let me be defined by the Spirit of God that is moving inside of my life. Holy Spirit, let your presence fall upon me. Lord, let me be born again, truly born again by the power of the Spirit. Lord, I have a new name. I have a new identity. Lord, I have a new authority in my life. And Lord, we pray that you sweep over us today, that anointing would be released over this place, that we would stand up for Jesus today, that we would be confident, that we would be full of victory. Lord, we praise you and we honor you. Church, the Lord is worthy of a shout of praise this morning. The Lord is worthy of our praises. Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you and we praise you. Some of you, you need victory this morning. You need victory if you're struggling with your identity. If you don't know who you are, let you, may you leave today knowing who you are. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away and all has become new. Lord, let that presence flow over me today. If you need that presence to flow over you, if there's something from the word this morning that spoke to you, just begin to lift your hands. Lift your hands. I'm not saying you have a, a sexual identity issue. That's not what I'm saying. And if you do, Jesus wants to touch that part of you. I wanna be very clear this morning. Don't misunderstand, even if you're watching online. Jesus wants to touch the lesbian he wants to touch the homosexual, the transgender. Jesus loves and he wants to transform by his power. Jesus wants to reaffirm and establish a new identity. Jesus, move by your presence this morning. 
as Pastor Noah leads us in worship, worship with him. If you have children that need to be picked up from our children's ministry, I kindly ask you to do that this morning. Please don't forget to sign up for life groups. Again, at 1215, we'll be meeting downstairs with the altar team members for a luncheon and uh, some other things that are really important. God bless you this morning. Let's continue to worship. <laughs>